A few months ago, Josh and his family were over at our house. And we were walking out in front of the house and decided to have a race. The two grandkids and I lined up for the start. And I got down in a sprinter's crouch, starting position. And when Josh said, go, I came up into a run, just like I used to be able to do. Even though I can no longer really sprint, I was able to start correctly. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, that's a nice little story, but what in the world does it have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? Well, hang on, you'll see. In the past few weeks, we have looked at the kind of people that Jesus says the kingdom is for. In the Beatitudes, we've seen the contrast between the world's definition of who is blessed, who is happy, who is well off, and Jesus' definition. In Jesus' day, he was drawing a contrast between the religious leaders, the holy men of God, who saw the wealthy, the strong, the proud, the self-righteous, in other words, themselves, as being worthy of the kingdom. In contrast, you had the kingdom of God. These were the people, the, the poor, the mourners, the meek, the merciful. In other words, the ones the religious leaders looked down on as sinners. Not only that, but Jesus has gone on to say that these lowly folks were the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now the Pharisees and the other keepers of the law were not really concerned with helping the ordinary folk. They were mostly about their own law-keeping and staying away from those sinners. <clears throat> In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. They both went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee spent his time thanking God that he was not like the others, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even the tax collector next to him, and basically telling God how lucky God was to have him. The tax collector simply cried out for mercy for his sins. Jesus stated that it was the tax collector that was justified, not the Pharisee. So many in Jesus' audience may not have been big fans of the religious elite. Now for those that know me well, I can be a bit of a rebel, especially in my younger years. I also tend to fall on the side of grace. So if I had been in that crowd listening to Jesus, I probably would have been thinking, this is great. Those Pharisees have been harping at us about keeping the law, telling us that if we would just act like them, the Messiah will come. Now this dude comes along and tells us that the kingdom of God is for us. He hasn't said anything about keeping Torah. He sounds like he's going to get rid of the law or maybe have a new law. I think I like this. I would imagine that many in the crowd were thinking along similar lines. The law, Torah, had been held over their heads like a club for years. They were seen as unworthy sinners by the leaders because they didn't keep the law like the leaders did. They were the sinners, and God was disappointed in them. 
If there were any religious leaders listening in, they were probably thinking that this rabble-rouser was going to tell the people that Torah was not important, thus bringing further judgment down on the nation. So in telling the crowd that kingdom people were folks like them rather than like the religious leaders, was Jesus pronouncing a kingdom without law? A kingdom where anything goes? Well, let's take a look at verses 17 and 20 again and see. Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, it's not the smallest part of the alphabet, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, as we read the Gospels, there's one thing that becomes clear. It's the fact that Jesus very rarely said or did what people expected. He taught by using parables. He answered questions with questions. And he said things that were hard to understand and sometimes seemed designed to provoke conflict. In this instance, after telling his listeners that the kingdom was meant for people like them, rather than the religious elite. He drops this on him, telling them that not only did the law matter, but that they had to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. <clears throat> now, there's been a lot of debate about what Jesus meant by what he said. There have been the legalists on the one side and the folks who reject the law on the other. There have been those in between. I hope today to come to a conclusion that lines up with the entirety of what Jesus taught about living as his followers. On the one extreme was an early heretic named Marcion, who taught that the Judaizers of the first century had gotten a hold of the Gospels and altered the words of Jesus. Marcion said that what Jesus actually said was, Do you think that I came to fulfill the law and the prophets? I have not come to fulfill but to destroy. On the other extreme, there are those who believe that we should obey all of the law. Some of these would even apply observance of the law to the United States or any other country. I believe that these two extremes can be left out of the discussion. In verse 17, Jesus tells his hearers that he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but that he came to fulfill them. Now, there are a couple of different views on what he meant. One view is that Jesus' teachings transcended the law, and to fulfill the law meant that the law pointed to him, and then he superseded the law, replaced the law. The primary objection to this is that the context seems to indicate that the contrast between abolish and fulfill is best understood as 
abolish, or establish. It's important to note here that Jesus never spoke out against the law and the prophets. He spoke out against all of the regulations that the rabbis had added to the law over the years. Now, there were 613 commandments in the Torah, and the rabbis had added a number of rules and traditions that interpreted the law or provided an extra fence around that law. One good example was the Sabbath day. There was a certain distance that they were allowed to travel on the Sabbath day. Well, some rabbis taught that if you carried a household item with you, like a spoon or something like that, you could travel a Sabbath day distance, lay that item down, and then you were allowed to travel another Sabbath day's distance away from your house. So they had all kinds of little rules and regulations like that. Well, another view is that Jesus did mean that he came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled it by being the one that the law pointed to. The entire Old Testament points to Christ, and he is the culmination. Matthew's gospel was written to show that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 3.15 that all righteousness would be fulfilled in his actions. Moving to verse 18, Jesus says that until heaven and earth pass away, not even the tiniest part of a word of the law will disappear until everything is accomplished. Again, there are differences of opinion as to what Jesus meant. The same, excuse me, spring allergies are starting to kick in. The same ones who say that Jesus fulfilled and superseded the law read the verse stating everything is accomplished until all the law's commands are fulfilled in Christ's life and ministry. Those who would disagree point to the phrase until heaven and earth pass away. They would say that the law has not disappeared because heaven and earth still exist. Some of these would even say that the entire law is still applicable to Christians today, including the seventh-day Sabbath and the dietary laws. In verse 19, Jesus goes on to say that since the law is important and is going to last, anyone who disregards even the smallest command and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. Anyone who practices and teaches them will be called great. Again, there are differing interpretations. One commentator states that Jesus is speaking of the commandments that he is going to give. The pushback on that view says it doesn't fit with the previous two verses that are about the law given by Moses. Other commentators take the view that Jesus was talking about the Old Testament and that he was telling his hearers that it was not okay for them to set aside or teach others to set aside even what could be called the least of God's commandments. And he is simply reinforcing what he said in verses 17 to 18, that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. So after making it clear that he had no intention of destroying the law, but was fulfilling it, however you interpret it, 
Jesus drops a bit of a bombshell in verse 20 on those who were following him. After telling them how they were the people that the kingdom was for, rather than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, Jesus states unequivocally that they won't even get into the kingdom unless their righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the experts of the law. They had memorized the Torah. They knew it inside and out. Now, I'm sure some of the hearers were surprised. It almost sounds as if Jesus is holding out the carrot of the kingdom and then pulling it back. It's as if Jesus was coming with a message of try harder instead of a message of grace. So, what is Jesus saying here? Hang on. We'll get that to that in a little bit. So, is Jesus saying that he came to fulfill the law and therefore there is no law for the Christian? Or is he saying that he came to establish the law? So we have to observe such things as the dietary laws and the Sabbath. That would mean no more pork barbecue. I'm not so sure about that. Or is Jesus in typical Jesus fashion teaching something else entirely? I would contend that those who are looking for the answers on either side of the should we or should we not debate are missing the point. Look at verse 20 again. What is Jesus saying should exceed that of the Pharisees? Righteousness. What is the law? It was the standard of righteousness given to Israel. The religious leaders had turned it into a system, a way of keeping track of how well they were doing. They had taken the commandments and added their own regulations and codes In some cases, the purpose was to build a second fence farther away from the cliff to keep someone from climbing over the fence at the cliff and falling. In some cases, the purpose was to be able to skirt the command while technically keeping it. Remember that the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught with his authority rather than quoting other rabbis as the religious leaders did arguing over minute interpretations of how certain parts of the law should be observed. They were the early TRs. Jesus' concern for citizens of his kingdom was not keeping a list of rules and regulations and thinking that was good enough. He stated that the law of God was good, holy, and would last until heaven and earth passed away. What was important was righteousness. Righteousness goes beyond simply keeping rules, no matter how good those rules may be. It's like the story of the little boy who was told to sit down and said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but inside I'm standing up. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were very good at sitting down on the inside while standing up inside. In Matthew 15, when the Pharisees asked Jesus why his disciples don't do the ritual washing of their hands before they ate, Jesus quotes Isaiah 29:13. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. 
the law that some of Jesus' listeners thought he was setting aside was not the true law of God. It was what he referred to as the goodness of the scribes and the Pharisees. The true law of God is essential to living in the kingdom. And Jesus' purpose in teaching was to bring his followers to fulfillment of that true law. The true law is good. It's necessary for human flourishing. It's all about righteousness. Jesus is not concerned with the ceremonial laws of the Old Covenant, but with the moral law. This true law is the law that God said in Jeremiah 33 that he would put in the hearts of his people. As we continue through the Sermon on the Mount in coming weeks, we will see that the righteousness of the kingdom, that righteousness that does exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, is a matter of the heart. It's not doing right, but it's being right. Now, obviously, being right will lead to doing right, but it will be action coming from a heart that is righteous. The righteousness of the Pharisees was hypocritical and self-serving. In chapter 6, we'll see that they acted righteously in order for others to see them and to think highly of them. In Matthew 22, a Pharisee asked Jesus which commandment was the greatest. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In saying this, Jesus boiled all of the law down to two commandments. Love God with every fiber of your being and love others as yourself. Jesus later told his disciples to love each other with the same self-sacrificial love that he showed to them. He laid down his life for them. In his first letter, the Apostle John wrote, that we know God's love for us because Jesus laid down his life for us. Therefore, we are to lay down our lives for each other. Paul stated in the letter to Romans that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. James wrote that if we fulfill the royal law and love our neighbors as ourselves, we are doing well. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 that we can say and do all sorts of wonderful things, but if we don't love, we're wasting our time. The Ten Commandments can be divided into the first four, which show love for God, and the last six, which show love for others. And in the coming weeks, as we look at what the kingdom living looks like, think about how these things show love for God and for others. You may be thinking, sounds like an impossible task. Well, it is, in our own strength. That's the bad news. The good news is, we don't have to depend on our own strength. We have the Holy Spirit in us, giving us the power to carry out these teachings. 
Will we all of a sudden start living like sterling examples of kingdom righteousness? <laughs> no. If you're like me, it'll take a lifetime to even begin to get it right. But this is what being a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, is all about. Now, getting back to my story at the beginning about the sprinter's start, the reason that I was still able to come out of that crouch naturally was that I had spent many days over many years practicing that. And it was still a part of me, even 40 years later. Think about the extremely talented artists we have among us. Sarah, Stephen, and others. They make what they look, do look so easy because they've learned the skills and practiced them over and over again for many years. It's a part of them. The rabbis used to, uh, when they would gather disciples around them, the purpose of having a rabbi was to learn from someone. They spent 24-7 with them. They ate with them. They spent time with them. They sat at their feet and were taught. The idea was to become like the rabbi, to relate to God as the rabbi related to God. The Jews had a saying, let me be covered with the dust from my rabbi's feet. That's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. It's learning what Jesus teaches and in the power of the Spirit, practicing what he tells us to do. It's not saying a prayer. It's not waiting around to get snatched up out of the, off this earth and have uh, uh, some ethereal home in heaven. It's about becoming like Jesus, relating to God as he did. In the power of the Spirit, we practice what he tells us to do. The more we do that, the more natural it becomes, and the less that we have to think about it. As this happens, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will be produced in our lives, and the righteousness of the kingdom will be evident. May we be covered in the dust of our rabbi's feet. Let's pray.